right, let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would please, and if you'll open them to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And this evening, what I want to talk to you about is the need for Christians in good Bible-believing churches to look out for people that would bring false doctrines into the church. Uh, The Bible very clearly sounds a warning that there are false teachers out there, there are false prophets, and these false teachers are subtle, they're very good at what they do, and the Scripture says that they are able to lead people astray. Some of you, how many of you have a burglar alarm in your house? Some of you, oh, you've got a burglar alarm. Uh, we have a, an alarm here at the church, and sometimes some, somebody will inadvertently set that off. And when it goes off, you hear this huge whooping sound that goes throughout the church, and that tells you that there's movement somewhere in the building that's not supposed to be there. Well, it'd be a wonderful thing if we had some kind of alarm that when a person got up behind the pulpit in one of our Baptist churches and he started preaching something that wasn't true, that all of a sudden this big alarm would go off and uh, that alarm would be saying, that person is not teaching the truth of God's Word. Unfortunately, we don't have anything like that. Uh, There's no alarm like that. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't give us some warnings and give us a way to look out for false false teachers. They're checkpoints that we find throughout the Bible. But the thing about it is, it's not passively recognized. You have to be studied up on this. You have to be ready. There is no mechanical alarm, but spiritually, you need to be ready for your own protection when someone's not teaching the truth. Now, this evening, I'm going to talk about false teachers and about how we are to be aware of them. So if you'd stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read the first three verses here. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word that we've read tonight. Help us, Lord, that we would learn something in this message tonight about false teaching, how to watch out for that. And Lord, may you help us to guard our lives and guard our church against any kind of false teaching that might try to appear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to make a guesstimate, what do you suppose would be the percentage of people that are in hell right now because of some kind of false teaching? I don't know what that percentage is, and of course there's no way to find that out. But I have no doubt in my mind that there are many people that are in hell right now tonight because they have been duped into believing some kind of false teaching. They believed a false gospel, and the consequence of that is they died with a false hope. Now, the Bible contains many warnings in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about false teachers, about all kinds of false prophets. Now, the question that we might have is, well, are there false, is there false teaching in Berean Baptist Church? I don't think that there is. And uh, I think the reason that we're able to keep false teaching out of the church is because what we do is we try to train the people here, and, and you would be able to recognize or spot false teaching when you hear it. So I'm very careful 
about who I allow to come and preach from behind this pulpit. But there could come a day when there might be someone who would stand up here right in the same place that I'm standing tonight, and they would begin to teach a false doctrine. So you need to be ready for that. I'm not saying that we have anyone like that in the church today, but I am saying that someday in the future that could happen right here, and you don't want to be led away by false teaching. So what does Peter say about false teaching in these verses? Well, first of all, he brings up the denial of false teachers. He says that false teachers will come in with damnable heresies, and they will deny the Lord. Now, you would think, well, if somebody comes in here and they deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and and they come in here and they start preaching something like that, we're going to know immediately that that's not a person who's teaching the truth. And I think that you would. I think that you would know if somebody came in like that. And But we're not to expect that somebody really is going to come into the church and he's going to stand up here and he will say, well, Jesus Christ is not God. Don't trust in Jesus. You can't trust him because Jesus is a fraud and a phony. Of course, if somebody stood up here and do that, you would recognize that immediately. But that's not what a false teacher usually does. He doesn't come in and just overtly make those kinds of statements because you would then know that that's not right. And so nobody's going to come in and say, well, you can't trust Christ. The doctrine is more subtle than that. So what does a false teacher do? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. A false teacher does this. He preaches or teaches a false view of Christ's deity. One of the fastest growing cults that we have in America today has a church right down the street from us. Most of you know what that is. They have a sign out front that says, The Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. So right there on their sign, they have, a, they have a name there that says, This is a church of Jesus Christ. But they don't preach the same Christ that we preach. They're not preaching the same doctrine that we're preaching right here. I've even heard that Mormons, some of them, have become more subtle than that because in some of their churches, they've actually dropped the last part of that. And no longer does it say the Latter-day Saints. It just simply says the Church of Jesus Christ. But again, I want to tell you, the Christ that they preach is a very much different Christ than we preach. They have a totally different idea. The Christ that they preach is not the Christ of the Bible. Now, they may have a Jesus, but they don't have the Jesus that we have. Now, according to the Scripture, we believe that Christ is the anointed of God. This Christ that we believe in was prophesied to be wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But the Mormons deny that Jesus is the mighty God. They deny that he is the everlasting Father. And so the Mormons will tell you that, well, Jesus is just one of the gods. In fact, uh, if you're a good Mormon, when you die, you can become every bit as as much a God as Jesus is. So that's a false Christ. Then the same thing is true with the Jehovah Witnesses. Do they talk about Jesus? Certainly they do but it's not the Jesus that we read about in the Bible. Most of you know that the Jehovah Witnesses translate John chapter 1, verse 1, as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. So they're not going to tell you that Jesus is the God. They're not going to say that he is Jehovah God himself. They won't say that he's one with the Father. And so that's something that all of these cults, almost all of them, and really kind of one of the definitions of a cult, is that they deny the real deity of Jesus Christ. They pervert the deity of Christ. So they're false teachers. They're not Christian. 
I was just discussing, I think, with Brother Jim Love a few minutes ago before church started about uh, uh, the Mormons, you know, how they're trying to gain acceptance as being Christian. They're not Christian. They don't have an orthodox view of Christ. In March, when Gary and I were in Israel, uh, we visited Qumran. And many of you may recognize that. That's the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were placed there by a group of Jews that were called the Essenes. Now, they were uh, an orthodox sect of Jews, but they believed that there was an apocalypse apocalypse coming, the world was going to end very soon. And so they hid all these scriptures, and they were waiting for the end of the world to come. Well, a couple of days after we visited Qumran, I was uh, having a conversation with our Jewish guide, and she was just a little bit put out by the Bible teacher that we had, And she didn't think that he fully understood the Orthodox Jews. He didn't really understand, she thought, what the Jews uh, really believed. You see, in in the hotel where we were staying in Jerusalem, uh, this hotel, on the Sabbath day, it had an elevator that went up and down, and and, uh, every floor that this elevator went up and down on, the doors would automatically open. You didn't have to push any buttons or do anything on the Sabbath day because that would be doing work. So the, the Jews... You know, there they made the elevator. It opens up on every single floor. So you get on that elevator, it's going to take you a long time to get to the top of that hotel and get back down. It's going to stop on every floor no matter what. Well, I was talking to our Jewish guide, and, and she thought that our Christian teacher had made light of that. And she said, well, he doesn't really understand the real reasons that we do that. He thinks that we're crazy, just like the Essenes were crazy. And she said, that doesn't represent real Judaism. Well, the same thing is true when we think about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. They don't really represent Christianity. There are some people who think that that's what Christianity is all about, but they do not represent true Christianity. So that's not Christian at all. It's very dangerous. It's a false Christianity. It deceives and it sends people to hell. Well, I don't think anytime soon that there's going to be a Mormon standing up here preaching in this pulpit. Now, the first thing that would happen if he did, you'd probably lynch him, and then you'd come after me for letting him stand up here and preach to you. So we're not going to have a Mormon stand here uh, anytime soon, I don't think. But does that mean that there, that there aren't Baptists and there aren't evangelical Christians that deny the Lord? Well, certainly there are. And unfortunately, very subtle ways in which they do it. And if you're not very careful, they can hook you with some false doctrine. Now, I believe that a person just as well-meaning as he can be, a well-meaning person, when he preaches that Christ is a potential Savior and that Jesus really did not come into the world to save anybody in particular, I think that person is denying the Christ of the Bible. I think when a person uh, preaches that salvation is simply a choice that anybody can make and it's all left up to man, and that man, even in his depravity, is able to reach up to God and without the influence of the Holy Spirit to convict his heart and draw him to Christ, that he can just decide one day, I think that I'll become a Christian. I think that person is teaching a false Christ. That's not the truth of the Scripture. I believe a person who teaches that salvation can be lost or that perseverance is not required for people who are the children of God, I don't think that person is preaching the Christ of the Bible. So these are, these are false teachings, and, and we're warned about that because that denies Christ. But I don't think that's the only heresy that's being taught today. We think about the denial 
uh, and the denial of the deity of Christ, but there's also false views out there about Christ's authority. So they deny Christ's deity, and they deny his authority. See, whenever you superimpose the will of man over the will of God, then you have denied Christ's authority. Whenever you say that man is the one who's the determiner of his soul and that God would like to do something with you, but you won't let God do it, then you've denied Christ's authority. When a preacher stands in a pulpit and he says, now here's Jesus, he's waiting to save you. Jesus is begging and pleading, and he's saying, please, please open up the door of your heart and let me in. And Jesus is so sad for you, and he's pouring out tears, he's shedding tears because he loves you so much, and you just will not believe. When a preacher says that, he denies the authority of Jesus Christ and denies the Bible. Now, that teaching has actually come from this pulpit. You haven't heard me preach that before, but if you've been very, around here for very long, you've heard that kind of preaching in the past. When I preach the Christ of the Bible, I preach a Christ who came to save his people from their sins. I preach a Christ who loves his people so much that he doesn't let them take a chance about whether they're going to heaven or hell. I think uh, that, or I preach a Christ that when he decides that he's going to save, he will save. He doesn't try to save people. Jesus will save. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to convict the heart. And then when the Holy Spirit convicts, he draws that person to Christ. And they will believe because God has regenerated that person in order to believe. So I believe it's a denial of God's word to teach anything differently from that. It's a denial of Christ. And I believe that people teach that Christ lacks the authority to do anything that he wants to do in heaven and earth. Now, I know that many of these preachers will say otherwise. I mean, they're not going to say that they deny the Christ of the Bible. But any time that you substitute a false view of Christ for what the Bible teaches about him in any area, whenever you deny the real work of Jesus Christ, then you're denying his authority. Now, the problem is, though, that... Some of these things have been taught so long that they've become acceptable to Baptists. I mean, they've just become the norm. And the reason is that Baptist people no longer study the old Baptist confessions of faith. They really don't even know what it says. They don't know about those strong statements that are found in Baptist confessions of faith that say what we believe the Bible teaches. And so I, I see preachers in churches who deny the authority of Christ even while their own statements of faith say otherwise. And the reason is they don't even understand what the statement of faith says. So they don't even know what's in their creed. Let me warn you about something. When you ever hear, you hear somebody say, we have no creed but the Bible, watch out for that person. Now let me tell you the reason I say that. I'm not saying that there's any other source of authority than the Bible because absolutely the Bible is our sole source of authority. We get all of our authority from the Scriptures. But whenever a person says, I have no creed for the Bible, usually what they mean is, I don't know enough of the Bible to develop a creed. I couldn't tell you how the Bible fits together and what it says. They just don't know enough about it. And so you have so many people that have never uh, looked again at those old statements of faith that explain what the Bible teaches. And many of these false teachers have no systematic theology at all. I mean, they just pick and choose from the Scriptures. They make things up as they go along. And somewhere along the line, doctrines are not going to match up unless you have a systematic way of approaching the Scriptures. But there are many people that don't have that. And so you have false teachers in many churches 
that are denying the Christ of the Bible because they haven't put the Scriptures together properly. Now, let's go on next, and let's talk about the danger of false teachers. These people deny the real Christ of the Bible, and the danger is for unsuspecting people and leading those people down the wrong path. Now, I want to talk to you about two serious, very dangerous areas of false teachers. The first one is liberalism, and that's what I call the gospel light. I call it the gospel L-I-T-E and not the gospel L-I-G-H-T. Now, if it was the gospel light and it was the, uh, the illumination of the gospel, that would be fine because that's what we're going to preach. But because these people are liberal, they teach the gospel L-I-T-E. And what I mean by that is they don't even have enough gospel in what they preach to even call it a gospel. There's no real Christ there, and they lead people away from the Word of God. So what is a religious, li- religious liberal? Well, a religious liberal is one of these people who likes to pick and choose which parts of the Word of God are truly the Word of God and which aren't. And so they sit down and they try to decide which part of the Bible can you believe and which part are you not to believe. Now, liberal scholars, and I'm using that word scholar very loosely here, A liberal scholar, these people get their heads together and they try to decide which part of the gospel accounts are actually the words of Jesus and which are not. How many of you have ever heard of the Jesus Seminar? Anybody ever heard of that? The Jesus Seminar, this is a group of liberal scholars that got together and they made a decision about which words of Jesus in the gospel were authentic words of Jesus and which words are not. One of the conclusions that they came to was that in the Gospel of Mark, there was only one authentic statement of Jesus. They said that in the Gospel of John, there are no authentic statements of Jesus. You know what that means? That means that John 3.16, I mean the most famous verse that we have in the Bible, they're saying that Jesus never really said that. Jesus didn't speak those words. Now, there's some tragedies involved in that. One of them is is that guy with the rainbow hair that goes to every ball game and held up the John 3.16 sign. He wasted his money getting into every ball game. Well, that's not the most serious thing, of course. But what it really does is that it denies Jesus as the Savior. It says he's not the Savior at all. It says that he's not God. And what it says is Jesus is really somebody that we need to find out more information Because what we read in the Bible is not true, and that's all mixed up. I mean, what the Bible says, you can't believe that, so you need to look for another Jesus. And perhaps you've seen this down through the years in magazines, think Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, and others like that have had articles on this, looking for the real Jesus, looking for the historical Jesus, and so forth. They completely rule out the Bible because they don't believe the Bible is true. So a liberal is one who takes away from the Word of God. So he doesn't have a real Christ. He he doesn't have a Savior. He doesn't have a Redeemer. There aren't any miracles in the Bible. There is no resurrection. He does away with all of that. But did you know that liberalism is the path of many churches today? Many of the old-line denominations that once upon a time stood upon the inerrancy of the Scriptures no longer stand on that any longer. And they'll say, well, you don't really need a Bible. The Bible's not true. The Bible's full of myths and legends. You know, I read something a few days ago. The Roman Catholic Church used to teach that the people in the Catholic Church could not read the Bible. 
Years ago, they said, you can't own a Bible. They said, we don't want you reading the Bible, and the reason is you can't understand it, so there's no reason for you to read the Bible. But did you know the Roman Catholics don't say that anymore? Now, they, they still believe that they're the only church, and they believe that they're the only ones who can interpret Scripture, but they don't warn their people not to read the Bible anymore. One of the reasons that they did that in the beginning is because they didn't want the people to compare what they taught to what the Scripture said. I mean, the traditions and all the practices didn't line up, so they didn't want people to read the Bible. But here's what one person who was a Roman Catholic, a Roman Catholic leader said about this, and and he, he anonymously, he said this, he didn't want his name to be used, but he said, we don't worry about people reading the Bible anymore because the Protestants have done a very effective job of tearing down the Bible's authority so that nobody believes the Bible is true anyway. So they're not worried about it, and that's what liberalism does. It takes away from the scriptural truths. It takes away from the Bible so that nobody has any confidence at all any longer that the Bible is really the Word of God. And so that's why today, in the Pro- most of the Protestant denominations, the mainline denominations, you find gay clergy, you find the acceptance of homosexuality, you find all of that stuff. The original founders of those denominations would turn over in their grave if they knew what was happening today. So we don't have a moral standard anymore. The Bible that used to be our authority, the Bible that was the undergirding of the very government of the United States, people don't believe it anymore. So what do you have? Liberal divorce laws now. We have gay marriages and signed into law right here in California. Legalized prostitution, legalized gambling. We've got the lottery. They're talking about building a casino just a couple of miles from us. What's the problem? It's a liberal view of Scripture that led to it. It's people that no longer teach the gospel L-I-G-H-T. Now, those things are dangerous, and the result of that is moral failure, and it's the moral decadence of our society. So you see, it's not, it's not just as simple as saying, oh, these other people and all these other churches, they just have a different view of the Bible than we have. Folks, the Bible is all there is. That's what counts. That's the authority. And so the difference here is authority or no authority. And the difference is between righteousness and unrighteousness. And if you want to get right down to it, the difference is heaven or hell. Now, if you don't believe that there's a difference between heaven and hell, then go ahead. I mean, join up with them, do everything you want to do. But there is a difference. And in fact, your eternal soul rests upon that difference between, uh, between uh, heaven or hell. So that's why we have to teach the Bible in its entirety and teach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the gospel L-I-T-E, not the gospel L-I-G-H-T. So liberalism is the gospel light. But that's not the only danger that we have today because we have another very serious era of false teaching today, and that's legalism. And legalism, I want to call the gospel bloat. Not the gospel boat, not the old ship of Zion. I'm talking about the gospel bloat. And what I mean by that is things that are added to the Word of God. Now, these people are very careful. They don't leave anything out of the Word of God, but they want to be sure that they add some more things to the Word of God. So they have their rules and their regulations and all their stipulations they put in, and that takes the place of the true gospel of Jesus Christ in many cases. Now, Jesus faced that in his time. As you all know, the Pharisees were very legalistic people. They kept adding to the Scripture. And that's why today in Israel you have those Jewish elevators that stop at every floor. 
That's the result to keep adding and adding things to the Word of God. Now, the Jews were very concerned about that. And so here's what Jesus said about them in Matthew chapter 23. He says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. You remember the pictures that we had of Israel when we showed you they're standing there at the western wall and these... these uh, uh, Men, the Orthodox Jews, they're binding on those leather straps around their arms and putting the the strap around their head. That's their phylactery. And all of that comes from adding to the Word of God. So these Pharisees, they wanted to prove how how righteous and holy they were, and so they wanted to make sure they kept every single observance of the law. Well, there's nothing wrong with keeping the law. I mean, the law of God is good. The law of God's just. We need to keep the laws of God. But the problem is they keep adding to the law. And they keep adding more and more and more things to the law. So when Jesus came, they'd added so many things that when Jesus started healing on the Sabbath day, when he started doing good things, they rejected that. And they wanted to kill Christ. And they did, in fact, kill him, didn't they? And that's because of all the things that they'd added to the law. Well, it didn't stop with the Jews. Christians began to incorporate that. Read Acts chapter 15, and you'll find out that there was a very uh, serious discussion about circumcision in the church. They said Gentiles had to be circumcised. That error spread into the Galatian church, and Paul talks about that in the book of Galatians. Same thing. The Gentiles need to be circumcised. So they started adding all different kinds of things to true salvation. Now, the problem is that it didn't die out in the first century. It's been around since then, and folks, it's still in our Baptist churches today. Now, when I say legalism, I'm not necessarily talking about something that you might do to be saved. That's one form of legalism. I'm not talking about being justified by the law. Right now, I'm talking about sanctification. And whenever you say that you can be sanctified by keeping things in the law, that is as serious an error as saying that you can be justified by the law. So when you add works into this thing, what you're talking about now is the gospel bloat. And it's really more than what Scripture requires. So that goes beyond the teaching of the apostles. And eventually you'll find this to be true, that legalism not only works its way into sanctification by works, but eventually it turns into justification by works. And that's a very serious error. So what do legalists do? Well, they'll say, You're not sanctified. You're you're not holy unless you live by a certain code that proves that you're a Christian. So a legalist will have all kinds of rules for the length of dresses and the length of hair. In one fundamentalist church in Texas, they have a barber shop right there in the church, and you can go get your sanctified haircut. A legalist says you can't go to any kind of movie, can't go to a dance, you can't play cards. When you go soul winning, you have to wear your skirt all the way down to the floor, all the way to the ankles. That's your soul winning skirt. So the legalist has a rule for every single situation. And if you don't keep the rules, then you don't fit in with their kind of Christianity. And so what they do, instead of showing love for people, they become mean and spiteful, and they become hateful to anybody that doesn't keep the same rules that they keep. Now let me ask you something. Is it wrong for us to live by a standard? Absolutely not. It's not wrong for us to live by a standard. Is it wrong for, for 
us to wear ungodly dress, it is wrong for you to wear ungodly dress. You really ought to look like a Christian. Is it wrong for you to go to places where Christians ought not to go? It is wrong for you to do that. You ought to stay away from any kind of place that would hinder your testimony in any way. The Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. I'm, I'm not arguing against the fact that we try to live godly, holy lives. The difference that I'm talking about is why you do it. Now, in Baptist churches today, these kinds of rules and all the things that they have, that is their sanctification. And the people don't keep the rules because their hearts have been changed. They keep the rules not because they want to please Christ, but they keep all of these rules because they've got to please the preacher. Now, if they don't do certain things, and the preacher's going to come down on them, and the preacher's going to call them every name in the book. I don't want you to serve Christ because if you don't, I'm going to hammer you with something. And I don't want you to serve Christ and, and say, if you don't do that, I doubt your salvation. I want you to serve Christ because you are free to serve Christ. I want you to serve him because you're not encumbered with this thing of serving Christ. You serve him because you love him. Now, let me give you two, two of the uh, uh, problems with legalism. One problem is enough is never enough. With legalism, there's always one more step that you have to take. There's always one more rule that has to be made. And when you think you've arrived and you've become a stellar Christian, all of a sudden you find out that you really haven't done enough. There's more things to be done. And so when you've uh, reached one milestone and you think that you're a good Christian and what you ought to be, you think you've accomplished something, along comes the preacher and he says, well, there's another rule that you have to keep. We've got this other rule over here now, and you've got to keep that one too, and that's going to make you a good Christian. Well, some people really like that legalistic system. They really like it, and the reason they like it is because they need to be told what to do. They want somebody to stand over them and structure their lives for them because they want to know exactly what the consequences are if I break this rule. And so what they do is they have the checklist, and they check off all the good little things they do, and they know this, if I miss this thing, this is what's going to happen to me. And so when they got all the checklists done, then they know they've met their quota of Christian things for today. Now, do you see a problem with that? Legalism forces you to do bigger and better things for God, and that's how they believe that you gain God's favor. But there are people who do these things, and they're relieved. They really are relieved when they've read that last Bible verse for the day. I mean, they, they, they've done what they're supposed to do. Now that I've got the quota, I can go out here and be mean as a snake again because I did all my holy things today. These are people that never miss going to church. They will be at church every single Sunday, and they'll feel good about going to church. Why? Well, not because they love God, but because that's what they're supposed to do. They never have a sense that when they come into a church building, when they come into a service like this, that I have walked into the presence of God. And so they're not there to worship. It's not, that's not really the purpose of going to church. The purpose of going to church is because that's just simply the obligation. That's the thing that I have to do. And so what happens? They never do enough. You keep doing and you keep doing, but you've never done enough. Now, here's the thing about it. The Scriptures do not teach that doing things for God makes God love us more. It doesn't teach that. God doesn't love you for what you do. God loves you for what Christ has done for you. It's all about Christ and not about you. 
Now, the second thing about legalism is that it makes you a prisoner of performance. Legalism is a performance-based religion. I don't know about you folks, but I'd rather, I'd rather be in a pardon-based religion than a performance-based religion. You see, Jesus pardoned my sins because of his perfect obedience to God's law. So I don't have anything to prove to God. I don't, I don't have to prove anything. God already knows what I am. But legalism binds you up in performance. So these people never come to a place that they serve God out of love. They serve God because it's an obligation. God is their taskmaster. God's standing over them, and if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then God will beat them into submission. And that's what they believe. You know what? I've talked to some people who finally see their way out of this, and they actually get out of that legalism. And you know what they say? They feel totally liberated. Now they serve God more. They love God more. They love people more, and they're genuinely happy. You know why? They've been released from that guilt of serving God. I mean, the guilt is gone now. When they served him before, they hated every minute of it. It was the obligation. They were forced to because they had some performance to do. Now, I want to tell you this again. You don't have anything to prove to God. God knows who you are. He knows exactly what you are. He knows what you're made of. And so God wants you to serve him and come to him in humility and in gratitude and in love for him and love for the souls of people. So legalism is the gospel bloat. It's blind. I mean, it builds up all of these unnecessary restrictions on people, things that ought not to be there. And folks, whenever you add to the gospel, here's what will happen. You lose the gospel effect. And so, what does the gospel do? The true gospel, it frees you from performance as a means of pleasing God. Now, that's the world's salvation. Do all of these things to please God. But Christ's salvation is based upon his performance and not yours. So here you have the legalist. He's the one who comes away and he says, Wow, serving God is really a hard thing to do. But the person who's been set free from all of that, he says, serving Christ and living the Christ life of Christ is so easy. And you know what the difference is? The difference is living my life in order to please God versus letting the one who has already pleased God live his life through me. That's the difference. So we have these kinds of false teachers in Baptist churches, and I want to tell you something that is dangerous. It stifles Christian growth rather than promote it. And this is the exact reason in many of our fundamental Baptist churches today, they are extremely weak doctrinally. Now, they've got the work part down. They work, 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 work all the time. But the problem is they don't know the person that they're working for, really. They don't know enough about him, and that's why they stay in that performance-based religion. Well, let me finish it now. Maybe we need more time on this. I don't know. Maybe I'll preach another message. But I want you to notice here, thirdly, the destruction of false teachers. False teachers will be destroyed. In verse number 3, Peter says, Their judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now, there's a legitimate question, I think, that we ask here. When's God going to put a stop to it all? Why doesn't God do something about this? I mean, here we have the world and all this false teaching that's going on. Why doesn't God do something about it? Well, in Psalm 73, the psalmist asked the very same question. Why doesn't God do something about it? Why do the wicked prosper? Now, here it says that these false teachers are greedy. It says right here, And through much covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. You know, you'll notice something on, about these TV preachers. A lot of them are very prosperous, aren't they? 
I, I uh, was watching a television program the other day, and it said that Joel Osteen takes in $70 million a year. Now, he seems pretty prosperous, doesn't he? The psalmist wondered about that. He said, I wondered about it until I went to the sanctuary of God. He said, why do these wicked people prosper? Well, why, why does God allow it? And then he said, when I went into the sanctuary, then I understood the end. In Psalm 73, verse number 18, he says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. And that's what becomes of false teachers. Now, they have their day now. God's letting them have their day now. But you can rest assured, God always has the last word. Just read a little bit further. I mean, you don't stop here in Second Peter and just read these... Uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Read on a little bit further and it tells you what happens. It'll tell you there that God didn't spare the angels that sinned. And he, he's not going to spare somebody who perverts the word. He goes on and he says that he didn't spare the world in the time of Noah. He destroyed the world with a flood. He goes on, he says, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The false teacher says, live any lifestyle you want. That's okay. God loves everybody. But these verses say otherwise. And these verses say that if God destroyed all of those, he will also destroy false teachers today and anybody that permits ungodly practices. So the warning here is beware of false teachers. Folks, you don't want to get caught up in all this heresy because here's what can happen to you. You can end up in the same place that they end up in. Let me conclude with this thought tonight. Beware of false teachers and thank God for faithful teachers. Thank God for for men who stand in pulpits and they teach the Word of God consistently. They remain faithful to the Scriptures. They teach what it says. And here's what a faithful teacher will do. He will not sacrifice one thought, one, one principle, one word of God's truth for anything that he substitutes himself. He absolutely will not do that. And so, a faithful teacher of God's Word always goes by, Thus saith the Lord. He doesn't take away, and he doesn't add to the Word of God. And the Bible tells us to beware of people who do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for what we've learned. And Lord, help us to beware of false teaching that is so pervasive in the Christian or so-called Christian world today. So many people have laid aside the Bible and preach everything else but the Bible. And I ask you, Lord, to help us to be faithful and true to every word of Scripture And may we continue to teach your word as you would have us to and not to substitute any of our own thoughts or own opinions for what the word of God has to say. I ask you, Lord, that you might bless in this time of invitation. Draw us as a people closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.